0: hi how are you i hope you're doing good and i hope you're having a great day because we have some things to chit chat about and um today in our episode on our episode of between me and drew the podcast um we're gonna be talking about bootstrapping and kind of breaking down like what that means what that means for me um And kind of just how you can apply thought processes and things that we've done here on the farm to your own situation. And this doesn't have to be, you know, specifically regarding to starting a farm. This can be um, starting any business or any venture, whether it be for profit or non-for profit. Um, So I think we're going to get rolling into this. But I do want to preface this and say that this is based on my experience and my experience only. So when we are talking about bootstrapping, we have to kind of you know, um, take things for truly as they are as a whole and not just word for word. Um, and I say that because I, I came into... Um, starting our farm and our business with a lot of um, resources already available to me that not everyone has, and I think it's important for us to acknowledge that um, before we start to compare apples to oranges. So I think we've got some good points to talk about today, and let's jump in. So I think one of the biggest um, misconceptions about starting your farm or your business is that you have to do it completely on your own. And I think when you do things or projects more so on your own than not, you can have an insane amount of um, pride in that project. But that pride can come in many different ways and in many different forms. Um, but I think one thing to also keep in mind is that a farm, whether it's vegetable or flour or another specialty crop or row crops, uh, conventionally conventional row crops like corn and soy, wheat, etc., a farm is fundamentally more than just one person. Um, even if you're the one who's doing all the work, you are selling those c- crops that you're producing. So that's more people. Um, you are feeding and supplying something to a community. So with when you take into account all of those people that are playing a role in your show called life um, with a farm or any business, uh, you're not in this alone at all. And we talked on this briefly, a little, uh, briefly, a little bit last episode about how you can feel like you're on an island sometimes, um, in our industry, in especially horticulture and floriculture, um, and floristry. Um, but that feeling is is very um, easy to acknowledge, widely across the board. Um, and w- when you are in those moments of feeling isolated or alone, um, and you feel like you aren't quite sure where you need to turn to for help, um, just know that there are lots and lots of people who are, one, in that same position, and two, um, have been in that position and are able to help you, whether it be through advice or suggestions or pointing you in a certain direction as far as um, sales avenues or reaching out to someone who um, can help you with grants or grant writing, et cetera, things like that so you never really are alone and when you are bootstrapping a new business or a farm there is so much that you need to think about when it comes to infrastructure and supplies and tools and machinery etc that it can be extremely overwhelming and um Understanding that you have a community behind you to support you through that is crucial. Um, And that's something that has taken me a while to really grasp. And I'm sure it's something that I'll continue to have to work through and work with for a very, very long time. But I want to kind of get into things a little bit more specifically. Um, When we are talking about starting a farm... There are a few things that you need that are right off the bat. Um, and I actually was teaching a online workshop for ASCFG, um, this past winter and we were on, um, a Q and a discussion panel and somebody asked, um, what I thought the startup infrastructure would be for a farm and, um, what was one of the most crucial first investments And I immediately went to something like water, having a water supply. You know, do you need a tractor to till your soil? Do you need a fence to protect your crops? Um, And Farmer Ellen, who I believe that's her name, um, who is a fantastic, phenomenal soil scientist, um, her answer and response was a little bit different. And hers was immediately investing into the soil and the media that you are growing in and that kind of took me back because where we are growing and farming it is absolutely beautiful soil beautiful soil lovely balance across all of your macros uh the ph is is like perfect for growing what we're growing um we have lovely drainage great organic matter content um and and i tell you that story because um everything is going to be very specific and unique to your own situation in your own setting. Um, So just because what I did in my business um, worked for me doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be the exact same steps for someone else. Um, So when we were really getting going and and starting to take this farm serious, um, there were several things that I knew I needed right off the bat. And um, I touched on that. I briefly mentioned them a minute ago, but um, things like having a covered space like a greenhouse is important, um, but it's not a make or break situation. I would put something like irrigation and fencing over a greenhouse for a startup. Um, But in order to do any of that, you have to have, some funds in order to make those purchases. And that startup money can be very intimidating. Um there's a there's a little saying that I've heard from a few flower farmers that say if you've got ten years and a hundred thousand dollars, you can have a pretty good crack at starting a flower farm. And um when I first heard that I was like, oh B S, you know, I could do it for four grand or five grand or whatever. But once you really think about your expenses and a tractor or any sort of machinery and a cooler and your plant cost and your perennial root cost and all of these things, that $100,000 is uh, pretty real, I'll tell you. When I made the decision to really do flower farming uh, full-time, I was fresh out of college, um, community college actually. And, um, I was scheduled to go to a four year and finish my degree and realized that, um, I don't always work well for other people. And I knew what I wanted to do with my life. I knew where my passions were. And, um, I also have a, a, a part of me that is very, very uh crazy motivated when it comes to something that I truly believe in and I truly want to do with every part of me. And that's what was happening. Um, and that's really how Clara Joyce came to be because I took um, 40000 from savings and that's what I pretty much invested every penny of it in the beginning um cuz that first year that first full-time year we bought um deer fence to fence in 5 acres um we bought new a new 2-inch irrigation line that came straight off of the well um down to the greenhouse i bought um one greenhouse, a 34 by 96 foot house with that money. I bought um, plumbing to get water into all of the greenhouses. Um, so like there's some big ticket items there that I made right off of the bat. And I ha- also have to preface that going into that first year, I, we were coming off of um, like three or four years of small scale vegetable production. So there were things that we already had built for infrastructure. Um, So we had a small cooler. It's a six by eight foot cooler that was already here on the property. Um, We have or had a processing station that we used. It was indoors uh, that we used for vegetables. Um, So we already had the sinks and the water run um, to those sinks. And we had the lights and the tables and all this stuff. Um, So there were things that I didn't have to purchase right off the bat um, in order to make this all happen immediately. Um, But one of the things that I learned and really kind of grasped onto is that when you are building something new, or let's say we're building a new cooler, or we're putting in a new well, or whatever the case may be, Always do the most that you can afford. And I say afford because it's very, very important to not make your decisions emotionally, but to make them rationally. Because you might see someone who has four or five big greenhouses, and you're just starting out, and you're like, oh, I I have to have all of those greenhouses the first year. Bullcrap. No, you don't, okay? Start with one low tunnel from Farmer's Friend three grand they'll ship it to your door that is going to be a much more manageable investment right off front rather than dropping 20 grand on a full-blown full-blown greenhouse with plumbed in water and lights and heat and all of the things so having that thought process of you have to be logical in your decision making um that That's crucial. Um, and when you are also starting your, far- your farm, you have to think about, you know, who the hell am I going to sell all this stuff to? Because we can grow acres of beautiful, beautiful flowers, and they're lovely. But if you don't have at least an image of the person that is buying or your potential client that's going to buy these products that you're making or growing or whatever, that would be square one. (laughs) I think that would be uh, a a much better place to put some emphasis and um, maybe start a little smaller yet. You know, if you aren't quite sure who's going to buy this, you're not quite sure who you're going to sell your product through, before you go and buy a 20-acre farm, maybe, maybe we start this in our backyard or maybe we lease a little lot for, you know, two years on the out, outer edge of, of town and, you know, see, first of all, can we grow stuff? And second of all, is someone going to buy this? Um, once you have that foundation and that you're starting to build that community, Um, that we talked about in the beginning, then everything kind of falls into place. And I mentioned this previously, but it is very, very important to acknowledge the privilege and the resources that I had when I was in that position of starting out, Uh, because I had access to the land. Um, My parents bought the property that uh, that I live on in I want to say the late 80s, early 90s, and where my fields are at was actually a cornfield that we rented out to another farmer um, who was then farming our ground, and we would get a check um, at the end of every season for renting our field. So it was fairly easy for me to have access to that. I just had to match what that other farmer was paying for rent on that ground. Um, and that's also why I started with those five acres because it was what I could afford to pay rent on. Um, and again, you know, keeping things very logical and and rational of, you know, I had access to nine acres right off the bat to rent, but I couldn't afford it. I couldn't afford the plants and the materials to get that space into production, Um, so there were lots of things and the bigger thing even yet is I didn't know who the hell I was going to sell anything to Um, because at that point I was coming to this industry having worked in flower shops I saw the gap between what we can buy in good quality as compared to what I can grow in good quality But I hadn't really done a large amount of weddings I hadn't built a book of business in regards to florists that were going to buy from me um honestly, and this is probably really stupid of me at the time, but I was just doing this one on a hope and a prayer. And two, this was getting me out of going to four year college and finishing my, my four year degree. So (laughs) I was going through the season and planning for the season with the thought process of, I can't sell it if I don't grow it. And I can't No, How did that, how did that phrase go? hold on. I had this all written out in my head years and years ago. Um, can't sell it if you don't have it and you can't have it if you don't grow it. There it is. Can't sell it if you don't have it and you can't have it if you don't grow it. And that first year of really, you know, doing this thing up, um, I think I planted like 6,000 dahlias and, planted 400 peonies that first year and like blocks and blocks of annuals and all this stuff and I I knew that I had to do something big in order to be seen and noticed and this was also like right at the time when flower farming was still something that wasn't super common it um, was starting to gain popularity on social media um, Florette's beautiful photos were being circulated. Um on Instagram and Facebook and yada yada yada. Um, we know how social media works and the the wonders that it can do. But um it wasn't as popular as it was as it is today. In twenty at finishing out twenty twenty one, I can tell you that there are comfortably like fifteen, maybe sixteen people who our flower farmers in an hour and a half, two hour radius from me. Um, and it was definitely not that way when I started. Um, there was Jeannie on the other side of Stockton and there was Martha over in Dubuque. Um, and once you get up farther into Wisconsin, there's more, but, um, now there's flower farmers everywhere so we definitely have a lot more of a community and a network and with that comes recognition of you know there are people out there that grow flowers and if you need flowers you don't have to go to the grocery store anymore you don't have to go to the flower shop on the corner in town you know there are other places to go to get beautiful high quality fresh product um so that's another thing to kind of keep in mind is that when you are starting something yes it is really good and crucial to be unique but understanding that you have to have that community and the community support and the recognition um, is very crucial very very crucial as well um one thing that i do want to kind of acknowledge too is that as you are um building your business and you're building your farm The decisions that you make in the beginning don't have to be limiting factors for you two years from now or four years from now or six years from now, because there are things that you're going to do and purchases you're going to make in the beginning that are going to serve you and they're going to serve you very well in the beginning. But it is okay to acknowledge that there is a time when those beginning decisions aren't applicable anymore. Case in point. The first greenhouse I ever bought. Um, I'm looking at it right now. I actually bought this with my 4-H premium money. From when I was showing in the 4-H fairs in the summer. Um, but it is a 6 foot by 10 foot little hut. Basically. And I knew very, very s- soon. That that was not going to be enough space. For what I needed. Um, so instead of tearing it down and building something else or adding on to it. I just made another decision that was going to serve me better for the next part of my business life and the next part of our farming life. And that's why we have the propagation house that we have now. You know, it's a lot more space. It's 18 by 96 feet. It's all set up for propagation um, and seed starting and mother plants and et cetera. Um, So just keep that in mind too, that it's okay for your early decisions to serve their purpose and you can either sell those items whether it's a small tractor or a small rototiller or whatever um, or keep them as a backup in case your bigger newer fancier tractor takes a crap one day you know whatever things like that are going to be very specific to your own situation and you will figure out how to do that on your own in your own time which is important because you're not on anybody else's schedule newsflash crazy right um you're really not competing with anybody else um so do things at your own pace i do want to talk about some of like the fundamentals um of kind of if I had to do all of this over again, um, and the steps that I would take. So let's say hypothetically, Clara Joyce doesn't exist. And I am back in high school, sitting on my phone in Mrs. Heidenreich's math class, not paying attention. And I am scrolling Instagram and I see this beautiful picture of this, like, dreamy flower farm, gorgeous photography, beautiful flowers, and you're like, damn, I'm going to do that. So you go to do it. The first thing that I would do is secure a place to grow. And finding a place to grow can is, is going to be very situational because if you know the basics of growing plants and you know that those foundations then that already kind of puts you a one step up um if you know nothing about growing plants starting in your backyard is a great place to start um you know whether it's with raised beds or if you have an in-ground garden or whatever um whatever your case may be just getting your hands in the soil and securing that space is your your first most crucial step. Because let's say, let's put aside deer fence, we'll put aside greenhouses, we'll put aside tractors. There are plants that you can grow that deer aren't going to eat if deer are an issue in your area like they are here. They're monsters here. Um, so that solves a problem for deer fence. Um, let's say you don't have a tractor. Um well you can rent a rototiller um from your local hardware store or from Menards or Home Depot or Lowe's. So it might cost you 30 bucks, but you can till to your heart's content for the afternoon and that is set up for you, ready to go. Cost you 30 bucks instead of 4 4 or 500. Um perfect. That that's taken care of. If you are next to somewhere that you can pull water from, whether it be a hydrant or a spigot on the outside of your house, or you can run garden hoses to your growing space, then that solves the problem of having to purchase or invest a large amount of money in a permanent irrigation system. And if you're just starting out, that's a totally okay thing to do. Um, before we had the irrigation system that we do now, we would run a seasonal line down to the field every year and it would run off of a hydrant from, um, our pack shed because we didn't have plumbed in irrigation in the fields or the greenhouses at that time. Um, so I'm very well versed on (laughs) how to make sure your pipes don't freeze um and blowing out the lines at the end of the year and all that fun jazz. So once you have your space and you are starting to get your hands dirty literally um go as light on investment as you can. Um so you're going to need to purchase your seeds um whether it be sunflowers or which are a great great um starting crop to grow um when when people ask or young people ask you know if i want to do what you do how do i get started i always say sunflowers is your first crop because it's a low input cost people love sunflowers they're such a happy happy bloom it's a great crop to learn about the proper stage of harvest Um, all of those things are a great that's a great crop to learn with we'll say um in addition to your sunflowers, grow things that are cut and come again. So, uh, zinnias, celosia, amaranth, cosmos, those really beautiful summer annuals. Once you learn the ins and outs of growing those specific things, you're going to have a beautiful product to sell. And that's going to be when you are able to open up the door to learning about the community that is there to Purchase those products from you. Um, So if you want to go to direct to consumer, that is a great option to go. Making up mixed bouquets and, you know, striking a deal with your local coffee shop or your local bakery. Um, If you're able to sell off of your front porch, like a a home business, I would definitely suggest doing that. Making a cute little name um, so people can remember it. Ours is Petals on the Porch um and then in the winter time we have stems in the studio you know they're they're catchy um they're unique and it's a great way to make your platform memorable um if you are going to want to sell to florists you know that is those those summer crops are great for summer florists or for florist sales, because a lot of that product that we have access to for as for, for small growers, like the dusty tone um, zinnias and like the really unique textural solosia, those are things that your typical flower shop isn't going to be able to get from the local wholesale house where the vast majority of their product is coming from. So if you walk into your local flower shop that might only usually have roses and carnations and lilies and you come in with beautiful zinnias in colors that they've only seen in books and you come in with celosia that is absolutely incredible those are going to be easy sales and one thing I've learned is that if you can maintain a great quality product and a really really awesome open line of communication with florists it is very common for them to be long-term customers of yours because they trust you, they know you can they know that they can get a good quality product from you, and relationships go a very, very long way when it comes to working with florists. We can be a very trusting group of people um as long as you are doing your part to to uphold that level of trust um and i I changed the way that I was talking um because. We do a lot of floral work here on the farm as far as design work. And when I do need to purchase in um, specialty things from other farms, I'm always comparing our quality to someone else's quality. So let's say that, you know, our zinnias are a little bit shorter or the stems just aren't up to par based off of what I've bought from someone else. Um, That is very, very important to acknowledge as a grower and you know, use that information to, to do and to be better um, because that's only going to benefit you in the long run when you are working with florists who are then purchasing from you and you've got more revenue and you're able to use that revenue to, one, pay and sustain yourself, uh, but two, also use that to invest back into your business. Um, and that, that really ties back to what we are talking about today of bootstrapping and this is this you should be seeing a a pattern here you know it takes people it takes a community it takes all of those things to kind of work together in order for you to build your business one step at a time so if you don't have those relationships and you aren't building those relationships it's going to be a lot harder for you to bootstrap and build your business on your own rather than if you do have the time to invest in those relationships and you have the ability to talk to someone and to make a sale and to problem solve. All of those things are very crucial. Um, once you have you know, your um, first couple years under your belt and you know how to grow, you're getting more familiar with the pests and the problems environmentally that are in your area. Um, then if you're in a situation where you want to it's a great time to scale up if that's what you see yourself doing Um and this is also important too because when I was starting out I was and I still do I always compare and look to the super huge commercial farms in Holland or in the Pacific Northwest you know where there's machines that like plant lily bulbs, and there's like so much automation. And I always look at those places to see if there is something that we can do, whether it's an idea or a concept that they're doing to make their operations more efficient, and if we can apply that to our operation, you know, that is a great thing <laughs> in my book um, because efficiencies are huge. But my what, my, my, blah 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 blah. What my point was there is that not every farm, not every person who is starting a business or starting a farm wants to scale up to be super huge commercial, and that is totally okay. Um, I one time shared a, a video from Oregon Flowers, who's a phenomenal large greenhouse grower in Oregon, and I shared it on my story, and somebody said, you know, not everybody wants to be super commercial. Not everybody wants to be huge. And I was like, oh, okay. And now I get it. Like, you are on your own journey. You are really the one with the pen. And your life is your paper. So write the story how you want it. Um, until somebody comes along with an eraser. But that's another story for another day. Um, anyways... When you are starting to scale up, um, one thing to, to really keep in mind is, um, being honest and truthful to yourself, what you stand for, what your values are, um, and really rely on the community that you have built and you are continuing to build around you because those are the people who are going to be there to purchase your flowers, those are the florists who are going to recommend you to their other designer friends. Those are the the you know the bakery owners and the grocery store managers that are going to recommend you to other locations. Um, so as you are scaling up as far as growing production, like square footage and greenhouse space and all that stuff, your book of business should be growing with that. Um, and it it will take a few years for you to. Solely have your sales numbers match and correlate to what you are producing on a square footage basis. And that's okay, that's totally fine. Um, because the way that I moved through that process when I was starting uh, was I had that mentality of can't sell it if you don't have it and you can't have it if you don't grow it. So it did take us a few years in order for us to really be, you know, making those big sales moving a thousand dollars every week through one florist um and that's a consistent you know basically every week through wedding season um so that will take you time to do it'll take you time to learn how to do that from a production standpoint it will take you time to really understand um the quality that your clients are expecting um so, you know, don't get down on yourself if you're on year two and you're still selling to, you know, a handful of of uh, people who are in your subscription service or you're s- peddling at the, the same bakery that you started at. That's okay because at some point, someday, someone will see your product, someone will see your Instagram page, and it'll all kind of happen. So don't rush your own story. Um I do think that we should start to wrap up our time today. Um I do want to kind of leave you with a little bit of a nugget though. Um when I was starting out, my goal, and I don't I honestly have no clue where I came up with this goal, but my goal was as I was scaling up, I needed to make $30,000 per acre per season of total revenue to justify taking on more space to grow. So if you are <clears throat> growing in your backyard, figure out how many tenths of an acre that is, or whatever, which is super easy to do. Google can walk you through that. And you know, divide that down. So let's say you're working on a fifth of an acre. I can tell you that $6,000 in sales of flowers is not hard to do so keep that in mind if you're starting out and shoot for the moon from there because 30,000 per acre is attainable i can tell you that much so with that i hope you have a fabulous rest of your day i really do hope that what we're talking about in the way that we're kind of moving through episodes is helpful to you I hope that you're able to take some of the things that I've done and I've learned and that I share with you and use them to better yourself, to better someone in your community who might be starting something or might have questions. Um, So my goal with this is to give back and to help. So I, I really hope that we're able to do that. As always, please do follow us on social media. You can see what's going on in the farm. Uh, Right now, we are just starting to get into our production varieties for Dahlia Division, so lots of fun things. So follow us on Instagram and on Facebook under Clara Joyce Flowers. You can also email me if you have questions about what we've talked about or if you've got ideas for new topics. My email address is drew at clarajoyceflowers.com. If you are wanting to make purchases with us which is fabulous we would very much appreciate it you can go to clarajoyceflowers.com we've got merch like shirts sweatshirts hoodies all that fun jazz Uh, plants uh, that we can ship in the spring like dahlia cuttings and chrysanthemum cuttings and dahlia tubers are available as well Um, You can also like, comment, and subscribe to this podcast depending on your streaming platform, and that would be lovely. And we're also working on planning out the next three years of our schedules, so if you would like to bring me in the flesh to your garden club or to whatever your group may be, just let me know, and we'll talk about speaking fees and transportation and all that fun stuff too. So you can send me an email for that as well to drew at clarajoyceflowers.com. All right, kids, I hope you have a great time. I hope you have a great holiday season now that we're coming up to that. And uh, stick around because next week we're going to be talking about selling wholesale to florists and designers, which kind of goes hand in hand as to how we were able to grow our business on our own. So I'll see you then. Bye.